Well, good morning, Bethany Bible Church. It is a blessing to be with you on this Lord's Day morning. I do bring you greetings from the saints in Wilmington, Delaware, who have already had the opportunity to worship the Lord this morning, and no doubt they're enjoying lunch and fellowship in this hour, but they send their greetings, especially Leandro and Priscilla, who are a blessed part of our congregation uh, there in Delaware. And uh, Lance mentioned this already, our family's out west on vacation. We've had the opportunity to spend some time together as a family, spend some time down in Orange County earlier this week, got to see the Pacific Ocean, Balboa Island. Uh, Yesterday, we were actually in uh, Sequoia and got to see uh, General Sherman and see some of uh, the the forests there, sites that we don't get to see very often in Delaware. But I will tell you, there's one California institution that I was most excited to see, and it's not in and out. It's your pastor, Lance Quinn. So... Uh, Lance is a dear friend of our family and a mentor of mine in ministry. Uh, it's such a blessing to be able to be with him. I'm not normally afforded the opportunity to fellowship with him, and so it is a sweet blessing for me anytime I get to see his face. And it takes me back to oh, over 10 years ago now. One day we were at Grace Church, and I was walking across campus, and I saw his face, and uh, we were trying to discern where the Lord would have us to go in ministry. Uh, my wife and I are originally from Florida, and so we were planning to go back and plant a church on the Gulf Coast of Florida. That was the plans, but that had kind of deteriorated, and we did not know what the Lord had for our life, but Lance did. And so I saw Lance come across the campus, and he said, Paul, what would you think about Wilmington, Delaware? And I, probably like you, was trying to figure out in my mind, where is Wilmington, Delaware? It's on the East Coast, about 45 minutes south of Philadelphia, just in case you were trying to figure that out. And I told Lance, in the most non-committal answer ever, I said, brother, I would be open to think about praying about it. You know, that is... (laughs) And I didn't think much of it. I went to the library to do some work, which actually Lance had assigned me to do. And about 30 minutes later, Lance comes busting into the library, Paul Shirley, Paul Shirley. And the librarian's going, shh. And Lance says, come outside with me. And so I walked out with Lance, and Lance said, Paul, what would you think of going with me to Delaware? You can preach for the folks there who want to plant a church in Delaware. The plane would leave Friday, and it was Wednesday. I said, well, Lance, do you think that I could call my wife and ask her what she thinks? I left my phone inside, and he said, use mine. There's no time My secretary is changing the flights to your name as we speak. So I called my wife, Elise, and and I said, Dear, you're going to have to forgive me in advance for this, and you've got about 30 seconds to give me an answer. I don't have time to give you more details, but would you mind if I flew to Delaware with Lance on Friday? And I heard silence. And she said, Well, if that's what you think the Lord would have you to do, then yes. I said, thank you. And she said, could you call me back when you get a chance? (laughs) So I hung up. I said, Lance, uh, book the flights. And uh, I said, but just to be clear, 
I'm just going to spend time with you and preach. We, you know, we haven't prayed about Delaware. We're not thinking about Delaware. And he said, of course. <laughs> and what we learned that week is not only does the Lord have a wonderful plan for your life, but so does Lance Quinn. <laughs> and that is why when my elders heard that Lance invited me to preach, they said, no problem. You can preach for Lance because you're here because of Lance. And we, and we are so blessed by that. We've been there. Um, you know, it's been 10 years, over 10 years since all of those things transpired. And the Lord has continued to bless the ministry there. That was a small church plant. When we first started out, about uh, maybe 25 people, including our family, and the Lord has just continued to bless and grow. We have a fully functioning uh, team of elders now. We have deacons who have been indispensable to us in the midst of all of our own COVID regulations, which have been very similar to the tightness of your own state, so we know what you've been going through. And the Lord has continued to bless and grow the congregation. Even in the midst of all these things, uh, we've seen people coming to the Lord in the last year and and the Lord blessing the congregation. Uh, We've been able to start a ministry to uh, be training up more men for ministry there in the mid-Atlantic where we partner with other churches and those things. And so the Lord has just blessed our family and blessed our church there. We're so Uh, grateful to the Lord that he's taken our family to the sweet congregation that we have there in Delaware. And we're thankful to be here with you on this morning, especially because we have the opportunity to look together at God's word. And as we prepare to do that, will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to fellowship with one another. Lord, I thank you personally for the hospitality of this church Uh, saints like Keith and Robin who have put us up in their home and showed us such wonderful love and and really this opportunity to experience the love of this congregation that we've known of and prayed for from afar for so long. It's such a blessing to be here with your people. And we pray now that as we turn our attention to your word that, Lord, you would bless this time. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our midst Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, we pray that the Spirit would be working in their heart to bring about conviction and and to bring them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do know Christ as our Savior, Lord, we pray that you would deepen our faith in this hour, that we might know Christ more dearly and follow him more closely. Lord, we know that your word is powerful to do all these things because you've chosen to use your word as a means of grace in our life. And so we come before you and we come before your word fully expectant to receive your grace in this hour. And of course, we pray all these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. This morning we're going to look together at Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. And I've titled this morning's message, Bearing Burdens Together. You see, in this section of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the Holy Spirit's influence on the body life of the church. Really, in Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul is closing out this epistle with a glimpse at what it looks like when we submit to the Holy Spirit together. We're all familiar with Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, 
We're familiar with the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We know against such things there is no law. But what Galatians chapter 6 would remind us is that these fruits of the Spirit most ordinarily and effectively grow within the context of the body life of the church. In other words, these are fruits that we see as we live and serve together. And one of the things in particular that we're going to see this morning in verses 2 through 5 is that a Spirit-filled congregation bears burdens together. That's one of the fruits that we can expect. So look with me, Galatians chapter 6. Let me read for you verses 2 through 5. And here's what God's word says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Back in 2007, distance runner Ryan Hall set an American record in the half marathon with a time of 59 uh, 59 minutes and 43 seconds for a half marathon, just for Reference sake, that's four minutes and 34 seconds per mile for 13 miles. That's fast. That's really fast. He followed that up with another U.S. record in 2011. This time in the full marathon, 26.2 miles, he did it in two hours, four minutes and 58 seconds. So that, again, is about a four-minute and 40-second pace for over 26 miles. If I were to go in the parking lot and run a 40-yard dash, I don't think I would be able to keep up with that pace today. He was an amazing runner. I remember one time back in Tampa, I was running in a 15K, so a nine-mile race. It was an out and back, and I was running. I thought I was running pretty fast. Most of the crowd was behind me, and I felt pretty good about myself. And then all of a sudden, I saw this guy coming down the road in the opposite direction, and I thought to myself, that guy cheated. But then when I got closer and we passed by each other, I realized it was Ryan Hall. And he set a course record for that day and, and, and almost set a U.S. record for the 15K that day. Ryan Hall was poised to be the best U.S. distance runner since Bill Rogers and the first to win an Olympic medal since Frank Shorter. But Ryan Hall's career took an unexpected turn when he made an unprecedented move. And some paperwork that he had to fill out to compete, he listed on the paperwork as his official coach, God. And they said, no, no, we need the name of a coach. And he said, yes, God is now going to be my coach. He announced to the world he was going to do what he called faith-based training. Under the influence of Bethel Church in Reading, He claimed that the Holy Spirit was now giving him his workout plans directly, so he needed no coach. He claimed that because he had the Holy Spirit, he could do it alone. Of course, Hall's unusual decision was based on some very common misconceptions. You see, many people think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as if you have the Spirit now to help you fulfill all your life's ambitions. I want to win this race. I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be to help me win this race. 
So too, often people think of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as some kind of personal, isolated, private, spiritual experience. I get these workouts from God in this way that, that only I can discern, and it's this private thing, and, and you would not understand how the Holy Spirit is working. Of course, many people often also think that the indwelling of the Spirit means, well, now that I have the Holy Spirit, I don't need anyone else. I have the Spirit. I can do all things through Christ. Of course I don't need a team. Of course I don't need a coach. I can do it all by myself. In other words, people often make the mistake of thinking that the Spirit's ministry in our lives is a primarily private matter that makes us a more independent people. The fact of the matter is, that's just not in the Bible. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that life in the Spirit is in fact not a private matter, but instead, life in the Spirit leads to life with the body of Christ. In Galatians 6, Paul is reminding his readers that life in the Spirit is lived together with God's people. The Spirit's ministry is not primarily for our own private enjoyment. The the Spirit's ministry in our life is for the glory of God and the good of the body of Christ. In fact, back in chapter 5 and verse 13, Paul addresses this, and, and he's pointing to the ministry of the Spirit that sets us free in Christ. In chapter 5, verse 13, Paul writes, For you are called to freedom, brothers, and this freedom is brought about by the ministry of the Spirit. And then Paul says, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We've been freed in the Spirit so that we can serve one another. And in this way, the Spirit's been given to us, yes, so that we can come to Christ through regeneration, And yes, so that we can individually conform to Christ through our sanctification, but also we have the Holy Spirit so that we can cooperate with the body of Christ as we serve our master together. The Spirit produces fruit in our lives that is not merely beneficial in our own spiritual life and our own spiritual experiences. No, the, the, the Spirit doesn't leave it at that. The Spirit produces fruit in our life that is beneficial for the entire body of Christ. And this morning, as we look at Galatians 6, verses 2 and 5, we see what one of these benefits for the body is. See, the point that Paul is making in these verses is actually pretty simple. It's this, a spirit-filled body bears one another's burdens. A a, a church that is influenced by the Spirit of Christ, you can always tell that that church is, is being led by the Spirit, not because of all these external signs and wonders that you would see. Paul would say, no, no, you can tell that a church is being influenced by the Spirit because they are bearing one another's burdens. In other words, when we're all submitting to the influence of the Spirit together, we're going to help one another out. That's the point of this passage. And, and as we kind of tease that out together, we're not only going to see this primary point, but, but we're also going to identify three essentials for spirit-filled burden-bearing. 
These are the ingredients that you need in the life of the congregation and, and, and that you will need in your own heart if you want to be receptive to the Spirit's ministry and effective in bearing one another's burdens. And, and the first of these essentials, the first of these ingredients we find in verse 2 where we learn that a church that bears one another's burdens must be faithful, must be faithful. We faithfully submit to the Spirit when we faithfully serve one another. The two are inseparable from one another. We cannot claim to be submitted to the Spirit in our lives unless we are also serving one another because that's the very thing that the Spirit empowers us to do. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've talked with people before that, that aren't regularly attending church, and, and as their shepherd, I, I'll reach out to them and say, brother, sister, what's, what's going on? We want you there. We want you a part of our ministry. We want you serving. We want you under the preaching of the word. What's going on? And, 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 and how many times I've heard, well, I haven't been here because of this youth sport thing or this work thing or this vacation thing or I'm just tired or whatever, but pastor, don't you worry. The Spirit is really working in my life. I've never felt closer to God. Spirit's really doing a work on me. And, and my response to them is always the same. How do you know? How do you know? Who's there to examine the fruit of the Spirit that you say you see in your life? How could you possibly know that the Spirit is working in your life if you're not together with other Spirit-indwelt people? If we want to be faithful to walk with the Spirit, we need to be faithful to walk with our brothers and sisters. And that often means we have to walk with them through the midst of their burdens. In fact, as this passage indicates, that's a main priority that we must have in our lives, to bear one another's burdens. And even the fact that the Apostle Paul gives us this command, uh, this command and says, bear one another's burdens, it's a reminder, we all have burdens, don't we? When Paul talks about burdens here, he's talking about the heavy weights on our life that we might all bear in different ways and in different forms. For some, it might be illness. For some, it might be finances. For some, it might be work. For some, it might be bereavement or loneliness or the list could go on and on. But when Paul says bear one another's burdens intuitively because of the lives that we've all experienced, we know what he means when he says burdens. Now, in this particular context, Paul is especially talking about the burdens that are associated with the person's sin in their life. In verse 1, Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And guess what? When people sin, that brings additional burdens along with it, doesn't it? And it would be very easy to look at somebody's life and say, well, yeah, they're, they're dealing with that burden, but that's because of the sin in their life. I'm not going to get involved. They need to learn their lesson. Paul says, look, you need to help restore this person. And if there are additional burdens that come because of people's sin in the congregation, then bear them. In fact, whatever the burden is, we need to bear each other's burdens. We need to understand 
the great need that we have before us. We need to understand how these burdens become a test for our faith. We, we need to understand how difficult it is to try to bear these burdens on our own. We need to see this not only in our own lives, but we need to see it in our brother's life and in our sister's life. We all find ourselves in circumstances that we would identify as burdens. And as we look at the burdens in our own life, and as we look at the burdens in other people's life, what we as a church must recognize is the need to be faithful to one another in the midst of these burdens. And that's what Paul's talking about here. When we bear one another's burdens, we're being faithful to one another. A big part of being faithful to the church, a big part of being faithful to your brothers and sisters is walking with them as they walk through the most difficult seasons of their life. And that's what Paul is calling us to do here. When Paul talks about helping somebody bear their burden, he means not just for a short time. The idea here is that that you're to help them carry this with endurance, You are to remain for the long haul. You are to continually accept the burden of your brother as if it is your own. That's the requirement here. This is a life principle. If you know much at all about the original grammar in the Greek here, it's a present tense imperative, which means it is an ongoing life principle that we as believers must constantly be ready to bear the burdens of those around us. And this is a significant change in what we would naturally do, isn't it? Don't we just love our comfort? Don't don't we love convenience? And so often, faithfulness to bear one another's burdens dies at the altar of our own comfort and convenience. That's why Paul in Romans 15, verses 1 through 3, he says this. Just listen. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And you might say to Paul, yeah, but they're so immature. That was their fault. And Paul says, right, that's why I called you the strong. And that's why I called their burdens their failings. That's not an excuse. He says, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And listen to this. And not to please ourselves. How often do we miss the opportunity to help somebody bear a burden because we prioritize pleasing ourselves? Paul goes on to say, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's the example of Christ. In fact, when we bear one another's burdens, that's all we're doing is we're following the example of Christ who who bore the burden of our sin on the cross. Christ came into this world, truly man and truly God, and he lived the life that we were supposed to live. And the full burden of our sin as believers was placed upon him at the cross. He bore it in our stead. And we know that it was affected because, as we remembered last week, he was raised from the dead. Christ bore our burdens, the burdens that came because of our transgressions, the burdens that came because of our failings. Christ bore those so that if we believe in Christ, we are saved. 
In fact, if you're here today and you don't believe in Christ, you can believe in Christ even this very day and have all of your sins forgiven because he bore that burden at the cross. Which is why we as his people, we can never reduplicate the work that he did. I certainly can't bear your sin burden. Only Christ can do that. That's why you must turn to Christ. So I can't do that for you. But as your brother in the Lord, I can help you bear the burdens that he has placed upon you. I can encourage you as you follow him. In fact, not only can I do that, I must do that. That's what we have been called to do, to bear one another's burdens. You say, okay, well, what, what might that look like to bear somebody's burdens with them? It can look like all kinds of different things. Maybe it's physical help. Maybe it's cooking a meal for somebody. Maybe it's watching a kid for a young mother. Maybe it's working on a project around the house with another guy in the church who's in over his head. Maybe it's sharing of resources. We saw this in our church in March and April of last year. We had over one-third of our congregation was out of work when everything shut down. Uh, We had more benevolence needs in our church uh, over that period from March to June than we've had in the whole history of our church combined before that. And yet, even in the midst of that, people in the church just kept giving to say, whatever brother or sister needs help, you make sure that they get that help so that nobody in our church went hungry. Nobody in our church missed mortgage payments. Why? Because our church was bearing one another's burdens. It might be that, that, that somebody needs some type of physical, temporal help that you can provide. Also, it, it might be as simple as just personal encouragement. Writing somebody a card, sending them a text message, making a phone call, paying them a visit. I don't know if that's legal in California, but I don't think it is in Delaware, but we still do it. Finding them on Sunday and speaking to them providing some kind of personal encouragement to them in their life. Or, or maybe you go a step further, and it's not just mere encouragement, but, it, but it's some kind of principled instruction that you provide them. You see the, the trial that they're going through, you see the circumstances that they're going through, and you go to them armed with biblical principles to say, brother, sister, let me encourage you with what this passage says, or, or I saw the Lord use this principle in my life when I went through that, and here, let's open up the Bible together, and let's go back to scripture together. That's certainly a way that you could help somebody bear their burdens. And even along with that, I would add practical discipleship. Helping individuals in the church see the way the implications of scripture are lived out in everyday circumstances. Coming alongside them and and practically discipling them and saying, okay, here's what Christians do in this circumstance. Or, or maybe, maybe burying somebody's burdens is as simple as persistent prayer for that brother or sister. Isn't that something that we can all do? To uphold our brothers and sisters in intercessory prayer, to go to the Lord, even as we prayed, or we sung a moment ago about going to the Lord with our own burdens, we can also go to the Lord with the burdens of our brothers and sisters. 
All that to say, there are so many ways that we can help to lighten the spiritual load of our brothers and sisters and help them to walk faithfully through whatever the Lord has them in. And make no mistake about it, that's the goal. The goal in bearing one another's burdens is to help our brothers and sisters to remain faithful to Christ in their circumstances. Remember, believer, we're not on this earth to avoid as many burdens as possible. That is impossible. No, we're here to remain faithful to Christ. And when we see our brothers and sisters burdened and heavy laden, we want to come alongside them, not necessarily to lighten their load because the Lord is the one who has to lift that burden. But we want to come alongside them to to help them remain faithful to Christ. We can't remove every trial. We can't remove every temptation from a person's life. But we can help them to bear their burden faithfully. That's what the Spirit has empowered us to do. When, when, when we do this, we are being faithful to one another. And by the way, not only are we being faithful to one another when we bear burdens in this way, but we're also being faithful to Christ. Notice what Paul says. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now there's a lot here and it's very interesting to, to do a deep dive on these verses, but suffice it for now to say that, that the Apostle Paul was targeting this specifically at the Galatians because the Galatians were so focused on the external ceremonies of the old covenant that they were neglecting this area of their obligation. They were actually placing a greater burden on people in the church rather than helping them to bear their burdens. They were emphasizing circumcision and, and, and the religious calendar of the Old Testament and, and Jewish cultural practices, and they were placing the burden of all of these things on these new believers. And Paul says, listen, if you really want to fulfill the law, the law of Christ, then what you need to do is... Help bear one another's burdens, not place extra burdens on one another. That's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the law of Christ. He's not saying that there's a different moral law from the Old Testament than the New Testament. He's just highlighting the fact that, that we as God's people are now under a new covenant. Christ has fulfilled all of those ceremonies He's fulfilled all of those things that were an external attachment to the Old Testament law. So the Galatians needed to put those things away so they could focus on the true content of God's demand. That is to love one another. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the key. For us as new covenant people, faith is how we enter into the new covenant. By believing in Christ Jesus, we become partakers of the new covenant of salvation. And then once we are partakers of the new covenant, our primary obligation is no longer all these ceremonial attachments to the old covenant. Our primary obligation is now to love the church. Or as Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
One of the chief marks of faithfulness to the new covenant and faithfulness to Christ and one of the chief fruits of the spirit of the new covenant in our midst is the fact that we are to love the body of Christ. That's why in John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you that you love one another. Now, it wasn't new in the sense that the Old Testament people weren't required to love one another. It's new in the sense that we are now a part of a new covenant newly constituted in Christ by his spirit. That's why 1 John 3, 23 says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The Galatians were worried about all this Old Covenant, Old Testament law, when in reality, if they wanted to be faithful to the New Covenant, they needed to love one another by bearing one another's burdens. And the same is true for us. And when we do this, just know that not only are we being faithful to one another, but we're being faithful to Christ. It pleases Christ when you help your brother and sister. In fact, do you remember Matthew 25, what Jesus said? In Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, listen to what Jesus says. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. When we're faithful to one another, it is pleasing to our Lord. It honors him. It's faithful to him. This is what the Spirit Spirit is empowering in our midst. The Spirit is working in our hearts so that we can die to ourselves, so that we can mortify those idols of comfort and convenience, so that we can put the flesh to death and bear one another's burdens. In fact, when we allow the life of the church to be influenced by the Holy Spirit in this way, you can trust that one of the primary results will be not only faithfulness to one another, but also to faithfulness to Christ as we bear one another's burdens. This is something that we must be faithful in. But in addition to faithfulness, a second essential, a second ingredient to bearing one another's burdens burdens that I would point out to you from the text is what I would call humility. In verses 3 and 4, we see that a church that bears one another's burdens must be a humble church. If we're going to faithfully follow the Spirit by helping others through the difficulties of life, you know what it's going to require? It's going to require humility on our part. In fact, humility is kind of like the the motor oil that that keeps the engine of body life from seizing up and ceasing to function properly. You have to have humility. That's why Paul addresses it here in these verses. 
Paul knew that pride is a common problem that, that not only gunks up body life, but also it will, if we're not careful, prevent us from bearing one another's burdens. Paul knew that in order to bear one another's burdens, we would have to be humble in our attitudes. That's why Paul says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, Paul's talking here about uh, an attitude that is self-aggrandizing to the point of being unwilling to bear the burdens of another. I'm too important for this. Oh, I saw that coming a mile away. I tried to warn them. They didn't listen to me. Not my problem anymore. Paul was concerned about the pride of these congregations in the Galatian region. In fact, back in chapter 5, verse 26, Paul said, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so there in chapter 5, Paul says, Look, if you let pride get into your heart, and then the, the way pride gets into a congregation, pride doesn't come from the outside into a congregation. Pride comes from your heart into the congregation. So if you let pride fester in your heart, it's going to work its way into the life of the congregation. And if that happens, there is a real danger that you will end up provoking one another to anger. There, there is a kind of, uh, of conceited pride that will, will, will ruin the unity, even of this sweet church, if you let it. But so too, chapter 6 reminds us that there is also a kind of self-deceiving pride that will prevent us from serving one another, that, that will cause us to ignore one another's needs. Our own sinful perception of our self-importance it will cut us off from faithfulness. And not only will it cut us off from faithfulness, but also understand this, believer, whatever sense of self-importance that you have and that I might have, just understand, it is self-delusion, not self-importance. If you think that you are something special to this world, just understand, you are self-deceived. In reality, you know what we are? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as members of this church, we, you, are nothing more than sinners forgiven by God's grace. That's what we all are. We're sinners, recipients of undeserved grace. We are unworthy slaves of the master. Who are we who have been forgiven so much to look at another brother in need and say, yeah, but he shouldn't be forgiven of that? Luke 17.10 says, This is the Lord Jesus. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, now when you do all you're commanded, there's that temptation of pride to look around and say, I did all that I was commanded. I was the first one here. You see all those chairs set up outside? I set them all up. You see that greeters? They were over there talking to their friends. I talked to the new people. You know how many times I've served in nursery this year? Special place and has service to be with the kids more than anyone else. There's a special place in heaven for those nursery workers. Everyone else, though, 
we are tempted to think much of ourselves just because we did a little for the Lord. Jesus warns of this and he says, when you have done all that you were commanded, here's what you're to say. We are unworthy slaves. We have only done what was our duty. What, what have we done? What have we, what have we added to the Lord? The Lord did not need us. He allowed us to partake in what he was doing. And I bring all this up because if we are gonna bear one another's burdens, then this is the kind of humility that we have to cultivate in our hearts. We have to have humble attitudes. We can't think much about ourselves. We can't allow that kind of self-deception to filter into our hearts and then from our hearts filter into the life of the church. It's just too dangerous. Which is why if we're gonna have humble attitudes, we also are gonna need a humble assessment of ourselves which is really what Paul's talking about in verse four. Paul says, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What's Paul talking about here? Paul's saying, listen, don't judge your spiritual life, don't judge your faithfulness to the Lord by what you see this brother in need going through. You know, in the context, okay, restore those who have sinned, bear with their burdens. It would be so easy to just look over and say, Yeah, I can't believe that. I've never done that. I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. Paul's warning us of this. Paul's warning us of assessing our own spiritual life and maturity based on external things. Well, do you know what kind of church I go to? I go to a church pastored by Dr. Lance Quinn. Of course Of course I'm spiritual. Do you know how many books our congregation reads? I've read at least the first chapter of all of them that they've handed out. You know how spiritual I am? Oh, I've I've been a believer and I've been around other people's ministry for so many years. Of course, of course I'm mature. Listen, brother, sister. What Paul's reminding us of is that sanctification by association is not a thing. You can't grow in conformity to Christ just by being around other people and saying, okay, they're close to Christ. I don't really want to do all that stuff they're doing, but I'm close to them, so I'm good. That's why Paul says, no, no. You have to examine your own life. I mean, remember, the Lord is not assessing you based on what others are doing, and Paul's saying, neither should you. Don't don't look at these brothers or sisters who are in need or or in the midst of a trial or in the midst of some prolonged episode with sin and say, whew, at least I'm not them. I must be doing pretty good. Paul says, no, no, no. You test your own work. You examine yourself. You, You examine yourself not against the background of what everybody else around you is doing. Instead, you examine your life against the backdrop of the truth of God's word. What is it that God has revealed? What is it that the scriptures say? What what are the principles by which I should be living my life? What, What is the truth of scripture? That's the mirror that we look into, James 1 says. So you don't look at your brother's life and judge yourself on that. You look into the mirror of God's word. And you do so not just so that you can examine yourself, but you do so so that you can deal with your heart biblically. 
You don't want to be like the man in James 1 who looks in the mirror of God's word, sees a mess, and then walks out the front door. You want to look in the mirror of God's word and say, that is where I need to head. Lord, this is the grace that I need in my life. And in doing so, Paul says, then let your reason to boast be in yourself alone, not your neighbor. What's this boasting that Paul's talking about? Well, a lot could be said about it, but I'll tell you, for the sake of time, Paul's just talking about having a clear conscience. You want a clear conscience before the Lord? Examine your own life. If you see sin, confess that sin. Repent of that sin. Seek God's grace. Have a clean conscience before the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 1.12, Paul says similar language. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. In other words, I'm not boasting about my accomplishments. I'm not pleased in and of myself because of all I've done for the Lord. What my boast is, what's pleasing to me in my life is the fact that I have a clean conscience before God. Similarly, Romans 15, 17, Paul says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. This isn't a sinful pride. This is a clean conscience to say, I wasn't perfect, but I have a clean conscience that I faithfully followed the Lord and that every sin that I've committed, as far as I know, has been dealt with before the Lord. In fact, Calvin himself in his commentary said that the glorying, the boasting of this passage is that of a clean conscience. And and the point really is simple. Don't be self-deceived by trying to compare yourself to others. Instead, honestly examine your heart so that you can deal with your life in such a way that it will lead to a clean conscience. And when you do that, you know what the result will be? A heavy dose of humility. Because when you see who you truly are and you see what the Lord's grace is fully forgiven, it humbles you, which is exactly what Paul wanted. Because Paul knew that pride will kill our ability to bear one another's burdens. Pride will cause us to focus on ourselves and never even notice the needs of those around us because we're too caught up on our own discomfort or inconvenience. Pride will cause us to look down on others because because their needs are their fault and so we don't have no compassion on them because we never would have done anything like that. Pride will also, on the other side, cause us to think that we don't need help from anybody else. There's so many ways in which pride will cut us off from this verse and being able to bear one another's burdens. That's why Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We need to humbly assess our life so that we can cultivate attitudes of humility that will lead to bearing one another's burdens. We've got to be faithful to this. And if we're going to be faithful to this, then we have to be humble in this. Which leads to one last essential, one last ingredient that I want you to see in verse 5. Here we see that a church that bears one another's burdens must be responsible. So you have faithfulness, you have humility, and you have responsibility. Responsibility. 
And this is really helpful from the Apostle Paul, who was such a wise shepherd. Because it might be a temptation for, for some of us to, to study a text like this or hear a sermon like this and begin to resent the fact that, well, I have burdens that nobody's ever helped me with. This guy's talking about a church should bear one another's burdens. My church has never helped me bear any burdens. Well, Paul wants to address that very temptation. But Paul wants to be clear in verse 5 that we need to help one another through the difficulties of life, but at the same time, we still have a responsibility in our own circumstances that we're responsible to the Lord for. In fact, notice how Paul reminds us of our own personal responsibility. He says, for each one will have to bear his own load. And again, Paul is guarding against a a misuse of this principle as if, well, they're supposed to bear my burdens for me, so I shouldn't have to bear my burdens. Paul says, no, 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 you still have to bear the load. It's just the church is going to come along and help, but you still are going to be under it. Each one of us will have specific burdens that we are responsible to bear. And and if, and if if we face those burdens with a victim mentality. In other words, if, if we face those burdens with a heart of self-pity to say, oh, poor me, it will be of no spiritual benefit to us whatsoever. We have to recognize we have a spiritual responsibility. We need our brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and help us remain faithful to Christ, but we also have a spiritual responsibility to make sure that we are being faithful to Christ. And if you want to be able to cultivate that kind of balance in the way you think through these issues, one of the things that you need to recognize is not only is, is the burden of your life a personal responsibility before the Lord, but it's also a providential responsibility from the Lord. Now, ultimately, the burdens in our life are, are either the result of our own choices and God's providence and, or some mixture thereof. That's why Paul says we're each going to have our own load. In fact, it's interesting here. Paul uses a different word uh, in verse 2. It's burden, bear one another's burdens. In verse 5, it's the word load. It's referring to something very similar, but when Paul uses the word load, I I believe he's specifying that that each one of us is going to have a particular part of the burden that only we can carry. I can have my brothers and sisters help me with this burden, but there are certain aspects of this burden that that lie squarely on my shoulders, and that's from the Lord. I can work together with my brothers and sisters, but I still have to carry a part of the load. I remember when I was younger going to youth camp, and every year at youth camp we went whitewater rafting, and and one of the very first years, I think it was the very first year I went with this group, we were going rafting, and, and the, the, the dam was wide open that day, so the rapids were particularly swift that day. And we were waiting for our turn to go down this one particularly treacherous section of the river. And the boat in front of us, all the rowers panicked, and the boat tipped over. People went everywhere, and there was a young lady kind of stranded on a rock, severely injured, and our guide said, it was all teenage guys, our guide says, okay, guys, we got to go get that gal, and if any one of you stops rowing, 
that exact thing is going to happen to us, and the boat behind us is going to have to get us. So you guys better dig, (laughs) and you better believe when we were going through, we were all digging. We had to do it together, but we each had a specific part of the burden that we had to carry on our own. I kept looking over at my buddy and said, you better not stop rowing. (laughs) I had my own load. I had help from the whole boat, but I had my own load. I had to bear it. That's what Paul's saying here. The Lord gives us a specific load, and, and, and make no mistake, he always provides a specific grace that comes with that load. But we have to go to the Lord and be faithful in this responsibility. It would be so easy to become bitter with other people and say, man, they're not helping me. They're not doing their part. But Paul says, don't forget, you have a responsibility as well. And in these things, there's a lot of balance needed, isn't it? There's a balance needed here because pride can not only cause us to neglect the need of someone else, it it can also, pride can also cause us to reject the help of somebody else. You could read this verse and say, oh no, this is my load. I don't need your help. Be careful. Self-sufficiency, the idea that we don't need help from anyone else, just understand that is an illusion of our own pride. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul needed comfort from his friend Titus. In the garden, Jesus longed for his friend's prayer. And here, in these verses, just as sure as these verses command us to help others, it also implicitly commands us to receive help from the body of Christ. You see, how do you balance these things out? How do I know what my load is versus what people are to help me with? Well, it requires a lot of wisdom, but for starters, you should expect the church to help you with your burden, but you shouldn't expect others to remove your load. They might be able to make it easier for you to walk through this time faithfully, but they can't change the circumstances. For that, you have to go to the Lord. You have to remember that ultimately the Lord, not you, determines what your circumstances will be. And also, I would add to that, the Lord, not you, is going to determine how well your church did at serving you through that. As you face your own burdens, you have to remember that others have burdens of their own as well. Which is why we have to be very patient. We have to be very forgiving for one another. We have to take responsibility of what the Lord puts before us. And then whenever the Lord provides a helping hand, we need to graciously and humbly receive the help from that hand as well. Paul makes it clear that we should bear one another's burdens with others, but we cannot take the full load away from them. Whatever the Lord has providentially entrusted to us, we must seek to be faithful in that, and as a church, we must come alongside one another and help each other be faithful. Remember that runner I told you about earlier, Ryan Hall? He decided, no, I'm going to carry my burden all by myself. And, and, and it was a big burden. And in addition to the workload of training for competitive marathons, running hundreds of miles every week, he also had to deal with massive expectations to be the next great American runner. And of course, Hall was convinced that the Spirit would empower him to carry the load of this burden all by himself. He didn't need help from anybody. Of course, he was wrong. Unsurprisingly, 
After Hall listed God as his running coach, his career rapidly declined. He never won an Olympic medal, and ultimately he, he retired early from distance running altogether. He doesn't even run anymore. And all of this is a reminder to us that the Spirit has not been given to us so that we can remain in isolation. We have the Spirit so that we can serve together, specifically so that we can bear one another's burdens. We need to be faithful to carry the load that God has given to us. We need to be humble to receive the help that God offers through the church. We need to come alongside one another in humility. In short, when a church body functions properly under the influence of the Spirit, it will be a place where believers help one another with life's struggles. Spirit's equipping us for this purpose, believer. And we need to make sure that we are submitting to his influence by bearing one another's burdens. We pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for this reminder the truth of your word, we thank you for this opportunity to bear one another's burdens. And most of all, we thank you for the grace of the Spirit to help us in this duty that we have. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be faithful and humble and be responsible as we seek to bear one another's burdens and be faithful with our own load. And of course, most of all, we are so thankful for the work and the grace of Christ who bore the burden of our sin on the cross. Lord, it's in his name that we gather, and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen.